Get your copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment, featuring our Best of the Decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our annual Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Support nonprofit independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name's Nicholas Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is another in our series of Sundance Podcasts, coming to you from an undisclosed mountaintop in Park City, where we're talking about the movies, the filmmakers, the news, everything you need to know about Sundance. I'm very pleased to be joined by... Devika Girish, Assistant Editor at Film Comment. I am Sierra Pettingill. I'm a filmmaker and a contributor to Film Comment. Yes, um, actually wrote a wonderful um, a number of things, but uh, art, art and Craft about um, archival research, which is uh, also uh, another metier of yours. Um, so <laughs> I, encourage you, plug. <laughs> I encourage you to look that up. Um, and we are further along uh, than we were before, and consequently we've seen several more movies. I um, have to say it's not been like the most red-hot of Sundances. That's my personal opinion um, that I get paid for, um, as, as, as does Devika um, and, um, and Sierra sometimes. No, no one pays me anything for well, anything. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Not yet. Um, yeah, sometimes you do. <laughs> yes, we, we do, yeah. Um, let's talk first about The Assistant, uh, which is directed by Kitty Green uh, and is actually coming out in theaters uh, very shortly. Uh, we have a review of it in our current issue um, by Devika, um, who will recite the review from memory <laughs> right now. No, we're going to have a proper discussion about it. In Kitty Green's new film, The Assistant. No? Okay. Oh. <laughs> Parentheses, 2020. I was, <laughs> I was sort of terrified that you actually were just about to, to recite it from memory. So um, Kitty Green previously directed a documentary um, with elements of, uh, I guess, reenactment in it um that was called casting john benet casting john benet which was um, on netflix i think mm -hmm. right and so this is a fiction feature um and it's here at sundance um and sierra you you've seen it right yeah i saw it about an hour ago oh okay um oh well we should we should I, i've been a bit vague or general what's the general premise of it or a general description of it oh i guess <laughs> Time for my recital. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's, uh, you know, Nick was very elusive with crypto subject. Yes. The the crypto subject of the film is Harvey Weinstein, although I'm sure there could be a number of other stand-ins for that figure. Um, the film takes sort of, I think, a slightly unusual approach to the whole sort of Me Too, um, you know, business and uh, what has been building the last couple of years in terms of really unpeeling these layers of abuse that have calcified over the years in Hollywood and in Hollywood workplaces. Um, and a lot of the focus has been, especially in the Weinstein coverage, has been on actresses and other like more high profile people who were around him. Um, and this film takes as its, uh, you know, focus the assistant, you know, uh, 
a, a personal assistant, oh, not a personal assistant, sorry, like an executive, executive assistant, ex- uh, an executive assistant, uh, Weinstein-like figure who is never seen in the film, hence the crypto part, but he is heard uh, in irate commands and uh, just like yelling from his office and his presence is sort of felt. Everyone else organizes themselves around his, his like frightening and looming presence. And the executive assistant is a girl named Jane who's played by Julia Garner. Um, and she's sort of relatively new at her job, and the film just follows a day in her life as an executive assistant from when she wakes up, takes a cab to the office, which is in downtown Manhattan, uh, to the end of her day, and it just like uh, sort of has this like kitchen sink realism type of approach, just follows every single move of hers and um, records the sort of degrading ways in which she is treated as an executive assistant. Uh, it's the sort of abuse that I think we even now still don't regard as abuse because it's not maybe sexual predation or it's not violence in that obvious way. Uh, but she's constantly made to do menial tasks, um, excluded from the kind of office chatter of the other male assistants, um, just basically ignored and, you know, bare, no one bare, no one even really looks into her eyes. And um, and the things just the and it starts off with these small indignities, but they kind of uh, start ballooning into more disturbing things like an earring she finds on the floor of her boss's office that she has to return to some strange young woman. Uh, and then she has to take the boss's wife's calls and the wife wants to know where he's been. And when she tries to allay the situation, it gets worse. And then she's screamed at by the boss. So these kind of things keep compounding. Um, until something very, uh, there's a, this new assistant in town, this girl that's just out of nowhere and is very inexperienced and has been flown in for this job and is getting very suspicious special treatment. And that kind of uh, proves to be like a kind of a breaking point for this character. And that's when the movie really goes into the territory of, okay, what happens when you're a person in the office and you're witness to such abuse, but you're so low on the rung of, you know, on the ladder of power and also yourself subjected to other kinds of abuse. What does that situation look like? And that, from what I know, I mean, uh, Kitty interviewed many, many people over the course of six months. And so it's the story of many such assistants. I've heard such stories from my own friends who work in Hollywood. So, um, it's it, it's it's a really up and close look at a remarkably pervasive reality. I was when you were starting to describe that, I was just thinking about the idea that, like, you know, when we think of Harvey Weinstein and we think of abuse, the stories when it came out, they were so salacious, and I think, and and they were actresses, but they were also, it was you know, full of sex and and kind of horrible, but very like vividly sketched out, incredibly degrading you know, violent acts. And this film is such, um, because when you say it's a film about Harvey, assistant to Harvey Weinstein, your brain goes somewhere else. And what you're watching in this film is really like a Jean Dielman-esque series of very tiny actions that are taken that are actually like, there is nothing appealing or sexy or, um, you know, or, or salacious in any way about what she has to go through. I mean, she's like cleaning bodily fluids off a couch. Right. At some point, she's um, eating the most pathetic set of meals that I've seen like on film in a long time. You know that yeah. it's it just is like 
I think it really nails the like pit in your stomach feeling of abuse and not the, you know, not the headline that we're used to seeing. And there's something so um, sort of radical about that. Like it just feels filthy. You just feel filthy. Yeah. I mean, I, I did have some reservations about the film. I, I, I agree with everything that you said, and it really, um, there's especially that scene when she goes to complain to HR about something, uh, you know, the the very problematic thing that she's witnessed to, and there's this exchange with the HR rep played by Matthew McFadden oh, from yeah. Su- Succession, uh, and it's just such a chilling scene and just such a great demonstration of how uh, these things get reframed, rephrased, um, how threats are made so evasively and menacingly in these contexts. Um, And I was totally arrested and moved by all that. I I think I still had some reservations just because this this is a kind of a more personal response, but I feel like I have been reading about the Weinstein case and all these other cases for so long. And there are so many stories coming out of people who saw things, didn't do anything because they were in these kinds of between a, you know, rock and a hard place situations. And I think the stories that I'm now clinging to more are people who actually did do something and threw it all away. And they didn't win. Like, um, and so in my review, I cited actually two former assistants of his who spoke up um, and, you know, and they did risk everything by doing so even though they weren't the uh, one of them wasn't the direct recipient of the abuse and I guess I'm just at that point where I there's so much of this coverage there's so many of these stories coming out it inspires so much cynicism and you know it inspires the question what would I do if I were in this situation and I don't want to believe that I would right just go home and keep my job even though most of us probably don't have the courage to do otherwise right and I kind of feel like what the stories I want to see on screen are not of resignation, even if it doesn't lead to, it doesn't need to have a happy ending, but I want to see people in like, yeah, yeah, I want yeah, to see yeah. action and right. I want that to be something I can visualize in right. some way. Well, I guess what's interesting to me about the film and like, this will be my very, very elegant segue into time because I know you guys already talked about it, but it's all I want to talk about. But there, but the interesting thing about the assistant is it's so it's so formally limited to one day, and so there is actually an idea of like I don't I don't actually know what happens tomorrow. Maybe she isn't someone true, who just true. carries on. You know, there's enough that you know the performance is incredible. I think, and and you feel there's enough disturbance in her in her sort of worldview and she's pretty I don't think it's a spoiler to say she's kind of emotionally crushed you know Um, so that was a question for me at the end like is this someone who just continues on you know in silence or there's something very interesting about making it one day and not Mm. you know not a longer story Um, and and that did I was thinking about it in relation to to time Garrett Bradley's film because I mean Obviously, that film is like explicitly, you know, overtly dealing with the the notion of time. But the in in both films, there is this way of like you're 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 looking at one woman's face, you know, fairly close up for the duration of a film, and you're watching for very tiny like minor changes in you know expression to to show when someone's resolve is cracking or changing and. 
you know, both films, I think, hold that as long as possible to like, you know, whatever, end of the second act kind of thing. And then and then you see a break and that that break, even though it's not, you know, a bomb doesn't go off. You're so attuned to facial expressions at a certain point that something so minor, like in time, like a, a hand hitting a desk is is like you know, a, a massive rupture in the film. And I felt that in, I think I was actually waiting for more of that in mm. The Assistant. But there is, it felt like a similar experience to me where I'm just tracking, you know, you're, you're watching the series of masks that women have to put on to get through a day or get through 20 years in the case of time. Um, and there, there's something so powerful of just watching that process. And there is something very different about watching it in a fictionalized space. You know, mm -hmm. those are strange movies to have seen sort of back to back. Um, that, that, yeah, that idea of, a, of, of the mask and, and, and drawing it comparison to time is interesting. It makes, I happen to see uh, The Glorias, it's just a, uh, the Julie Taymor biopic directed by Julie Taymor about Gloria Steinem. And a lot of the movie is, is that that is, is showing Gloria Steinem through her life, having put on some serious masks, <laughs> you know, just to, in terms of making her way through her early journalistic career. And then any number of affronts and challenges and, and uh, aggressions um, there afterwards. Um, and yeah. And actually interesting to think of this, what you what you describe these two films and then also never rarely sometimes always mm. which is also you know a film mm. focused on a young woman's face as she undergoes a similar um experience uh, i mean actually a more direct experience compared to the assistant and also it's also about masks and the performances she is putting up and the experiences that crack through that break through those facades um, yeah i mean and and in, in that case also having that one kind of virtuoso scene um, where, yeah, you're just watching her reactions to it to it in, over the course of a particular kind of conversation. I'm being a little, because you haven't seen it, right? I haven't, but I mean, I'm not the spoiler to worry about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a wider audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about you, sir. No, it's, it's just, uh, no, just the, there, she's doing a questionnaire about, you know, her, her personal life. And, you know, the questions are, you know, intimate and, and you know, very emotional for her. And the, the way she films it is just holding it on her the entire time. And some of the questions she's not really able or willing to answer. And so, yeah, faces. Yeah, women wear masks to get through the day. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. No. <laughs> um, uh, seconded. Seconded. <laughs> Here, here. Shall we move from faces to places? Oh, brilliant! All right, Jr. Uh. <laughs> um, so, yes, Spaceship Earth. Um, we haven't talked about it yet. Um, it is about the biosphere. Is that what it's called? Biosphere two, biosphere. because biosphere one yeah. is our planet. Of course, that's right. <laughs> I forgot. I, so many of the time I referred to the Earth as our biosphere. Um, just my little nickname No, for not it. Biosphere, no, biosphere one. one. Biosphere one. The first. Biosphere yeah. the first. Um, the original king. Spaceship Earth. Let's talk about it. Devika, what did you think of Spaceship Earth? No, let's start with let's Sierra. Let's describe it. Should we yes, describe it? Yes, Sierra. Yes. Tell us about okay. Spaceship Earth, please. So Spaceship Earth is a documentary um, in the U.S. documentary competition, I believe, directed by Matt Wolf, um, who has made 
lots of heavily archival features before. Um, and it is about Biosphere 2. Um, and it's, uh, it is primarily archival, punctuated by interviews with sort of the original um, members of, of the, the kind of commune that grew into the Biosphere project. And it starts in 1966, I believe, in San Francisco with a group of, uh, you know, we can call them hippies, we can call them uh, visionaries, um, but a, a group of, uh, you know, people in their 20s who are determined, like so many others, to make a, a different kind of world for themselves. Um, but it's it's a bizarre way of arriving to Biosphere 2, or I didn't know any of that history, um, where this, it really builds a case for... Um, the labor commitment uh, and like camaraderie that goes into any kind of like big project, and and so the the film begins with this group um, building a a uh, geodesic dome for themselves, and then they kind of take it one step up, and they get a ranch in New Mexico, and then they're like, well, we've, we solved that, let's build a boat. And by that, they do not mean let's build a rowboat, which I was like bragging that I have done. And <laughs> they build a massive steel ship. It's like one of the most incredible sequences. And then it, they take to the water and it's and and sail around the entire world. And there's that moment where that bow goes up when oh they push God. it into the ocean, and that, you know, it just rises. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and they go around the world and start um, all sorts of businesses. So it becomes this very interesting mix of like uh, sort of capitalism and a collective action. Um, and then they, as a group of, um, you know, utopian activists really decide to make Biosphere too. And uh, and so it's less of a scientific project in some way and more of a utopian project. Mm -hmm. um, and the film, you know, it's really easy to forget how incredible the archival footage is because there's so much of it. The film is, it's so documented from like moment one to, mm -hmm. you know, the end of Biosphere that you just kind of become a nerd to it. But it's the footage is really incredible and rare. Um, material oh sorry um yeah. yeah yeah i mean i was completely unfamiliar with this history um i don't know if it is like is it really widely known in america among certain generations the, the bio for our generation the biosphere yeah. project itself it was like but that was history like, i don't okay yeah because yeah. it was a massive news event yeah okay. yeah i mean i i no i was just gonna say it, it was kind of a classic um thing you'd see on like a weekly news magazine, like a Newsweek or something. And it, But it became a punchline. Like uh, growing yeah. up for me, it was a punchline. And this movie was so illuminating um, mm -hmm. because it really undid, unpacked that. And you're, you're, it's not even like you're watching like, oh, here's the media version and here's the real behind the scenes. You're actually watching how and why a media narrative grows around something and how determining that it's a failure, that this like kind of crazy utopian idea of creating a new earth it, it really is impossible for that to be something that we can easily accept. And so it's a really complicated, I think, form of storytelling where mm -hmm. you're, you're not, he's no, not sort cool. of like directly contradicting the media narrative. It's, 
kind of unpacking how that's developing and why it's actually just the wrong thing to be focusing on. You know, mm-hmm. whether they're, whether it's a success or failure is, is actually a really nihilistic way of looking right. at mm. a bold project. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 so I just like didn't know about it, any of this. So it was really fascinating. I just learned about it entirely from this documentary. And I think I found the first third of it incredibly fascinating when they start building this utopian community. Um, you know, they they get together and they say, we're going to be not like any other commune, so we're not going to do any drugs, and this is not going to be about suspending our, uh, you know, mental states or any of that. They just have, like, a theater troupe, and they build things. And honestly, watching this, I was like, Maybe I should join a cult. Oh, totally. I, mean, I totally. I know. Maybe I, I should like, go live in a Great commune. work ethic. Yeah. Everyone, I'm with you. I know. Totally. Maybe this yeah. is what I need. I need to till the land and do some <laughs> experimental acting and, you know, just live uh, with nature. Anyway, that aside, um, I, I, I that was actually very moving and it, even the way that it's portrayed because it they have this like genuine camaraderie. They believe in something greater, all of that. And, and that what they believe in that greater is actually things that they're building with their hands. So that's why the moment mm. with the ship is so is you know it's not these they're not they're not working towards any abstract ideals. They just want to build something that works and that can take them from one place to another. And they do it, and they actually set sail. Um, you know, it it, it just is. It, it seems like. Yeah, it's just such a utopian, but also such a simple and proximate Mm. idea. I think the film started to lose me when it actually went into the Biosphere project. Um, Obviously, again, what, what you were saying just now, I think that is the most interesting part, is how this utopian history, utopian activism led to that project, but then that got subsumed into a pseudoscientific and a media narrative that imposed parameters of success and failure, whereas it was more of an experiential learning kind of project, not a, can we build something that we can send into space? You know, Mm -hmm. it didn't, it wasn't like that. But I think, I felt like maybe the film was trying to do way too much um, in terms of its narrative. And it the reason it started to lose me was there were certain contradictions and ambiguities it touched upon but didn't fully delve into. So it, kind of late in the film, you are told how this community has the money to fund all these projects, right? And what's the name of the uh, Texan billionaire family? Is it Barr? Ed Bass. Oh, B- oh. Uh, Bass, yes. yeah. Yes. So Ed Bass, who is like their an benefactor. Oil, yeah, an oil. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of, it, it, and they go around the world on these business ventures and they built a hotel in Nepal, I think. And, you know, and a theater company somewhere. So they're like building these things all over the world and, the idea is that they're creating things that will pay off later for Ed, Ed Bass. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of mentioned, but then I wanted to know a little more about how this fit into their philosophy, what the exact arrangements were. And because that really becomes so important at the end of the film. Right, know, which I don't even know if it's a spoiler, but it's like an incredible edit. Like editorial moment where this hands off to a very familiar figure in our political, our current political landscape. Oh yes. I mean, people. I just people know. It's, it's in, yeah, it is public, public knowledge. knowledge. I imagine. I just yeah. don't know yeah. how widespread it is. Right. 
But, you know, so there's that revelation that happens literally in the last four or five minutes right. of the film. And along that way, you know, when they're in the biosphere, which I thought was so fascinating because it's like some proto big brother, you know. Okay. It, 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 and, but when they are, there's a lot of ethical questions that, they're ra- that are raised as it becomes a more corporate operation with tourists and merchandise and media relations. Um, there's a lot of questions about how the project is being framed. Are they lying to the media? So those things I thought got like a little brushed over um, because I think that it was trying to like, um, you know, tackle a really wide variety of subjects with this one topic. And I think that because those are such complex things that feel the most relevant today and that have the most links to today's politics, I I kind of wanted that to be explicated more or even just, you know, uh, just addressed more. So it kind of, I think there, I, it just got a little muddled for me. Right. But it was still, it, it was really revelatory and, and such an interesting um, project to think about in the context of today because those people, actually, the people who were in the biosphere, most of them live together on a ranch right now. They live sustainably and that's a goal that, you know, is, is very reachable for us. Yeah, there's one thing I really, I mean, and I think, um, I, I think you're totally right. There's a lot that uh, in those sections that, I mean, I could have watched probably an hour just of the media coverage because it's a fascinating insight into, you know, you see the whole package that they're pitching to the stations on, you know, it's, mm. There's a lot of like complex things happening there in a kind of changing media moment too. So, oh, yeah. but I, I actually I think I always am like you know if if someone watches the film and you're like I I wish we had more on all of this I think that's often like not the worst mm-hmm. um, you know not the worst feeling of like I could have watched so much more of it. Right. Um, but for me, it's like I I find. I I thought the way it was edited was very smart because there's I th- I think we're all so used it's similar to the way people talked about watching won't you be my neighbor where they're like I kept waiting for him to be a creep because because that's that's built into I think a way a way that we watch documentaries especially mm-hmm. as you're waiting for the bomb to fall out and I you know we can blame lots of people for that you know right. lots of streaming services I think in part for that but but also those narratives particularly in and about him, by him we mean the leader of the, the group. Leader I don't think we co- mentioned his yeah, name so yeah. John Allen yeah, is the leader yeah. of the commune yeah but so I'm waiting for, you're, you're waiting kind of for him to be maybe revealed as a you know manipulator or or a cult leader in some pernicious way but I think you're also waiting how often do we hear stories about utopian visions and communes that succeed that last yeah and they and they last and they work and they like they actually achieve something and so you you are the and I think the film kind of plays with that like mm-hmm. you're it, it's walking into some of those tropes of like you're waiting for this experiment to fail and then it mm-hmm. it doesn't at the end mm-hmm. um and I found that really actually very radical and, and inspiring and you know I feel very sort of like Pollyanna-ish about <laughs> about my feelings during that movie because I was just I felt the same to you like it, it just has a very um there's something very potent about, I think, at watching the labor of, of people to build something kind of in real time. You know, the first half of the film, you're really right. watching them physically build things. And I think that's and, and such a... And find real joy. I mean, they, they're interviewed now years later and they remember all those experiences which like completely yeah. like 
so positively, you know, and it doesn't seem like it's like rose tinted glasses. It seemed like they really, those were the best years of their lives. Mm. Just, yeah. just doing that. And right. you're right. That is not what we expect from films like these. You know, there's a certain standard variety of these films that are like, that'll set something up like this right. only to kind undo of, it. Yeah. yeah and, and right. take you into like a more cynical space. Yeah. Um, but even with, so that's, but that's the thing with John Allen, there's like a couple moments where some people allege that he was like kind of tyrannical right. and then it, it's kind of like he's not. And then we just move forward right. and so I, I was a little confused by that but that was also a thing I liked very much that he he didn't turn out to be a creep and that is something that we are unsure about until almost the end of the film right. and and that is refreshing yeah and it also makes you I don't know it made me think like why am I waiting for and you can feel the media glee of like we knew they could you know we knew they were yeah. cheating like no who would work this hard for 30 years to build something so romantic, actually, as the biosphere, too, and, like, sacrifice. You know, there's a glee in that, and I felt it in myself while watching. Like, why are, why are we waiting for this to not work? Right. Like, what is... Yeah. Okay, anyway, yeah. Pollyanna signing off. <laughs> Get your copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment, featuring our best-of-the-decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Garish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Plus, Alex Ross Perry on screenwriting, Phoebe Chen on NYFF sensation Martin Eden, Albert Serra on the scandalous Liberté, along with the reviews, articles, and columns that make every issue of Film Comment a must-read. Support nonprofit, independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. It's interesting to think of this alongside other movies here that are also looking at kind of utopian experiments or utopian spaces i was just jotting down while both of you were talking a, a few other movies that came to mind in very different ways like one would be crip camp which is i mean a, a kind of uh you know a, 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 a kind of I mean, we've already talked about crip camp before but like a camp you know devoted to um people with disabilities at, at a time when they're you know we've already talked about the counterculture i just i just really like that movie about how it's this it kind of like legit <laughs> kind of counterculture compared to some more like posturing countercultures. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one kind of utopia, utopian moment that gives rise to progressive movements and feeds and um, almost, I don't know, makes things um, possible in, in a wonderful way. Um, another movie that came to mind is Wendy, uh, which I, I've just seen recently. That's a fiction film, but same thing. There's like an island um, in the sense that it's this utopian, you know, Peter Pan myth. Don't have to say much more than that. Um, and then um, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. It's kind of like the bar as this like utopian, emotional, spiritual, mm. existential space. Um, not that everything turns out great, but just where people can like come somehow exist together in some, I don't know, genuine way with the aid of alcohol. Uh, <laughs> Matt kept, Matt Wolf and, and some of the people in that film in Spaceship Earth kept referring to like the power of small groups, which I think is mm. actually 
mm-hmm. really beautiful and and yeah. applies to that's actually a really wonderful way of thinking of like, bloody nose you know yeah like what is the small the very small community what are they capable of yeah know? yeah so that that leaves us with Cajillionaire, one of the movies of the most fun titles here um which two of us have seen um i'll just maybe we can just quickly go through this uh directed by miranda july um multi-hyphenate creative spirit um last seen as the mother in madeline's madeline and the director of a really absurd instagram post starring margaret margaret quaitley very nicely done um and for me my entry point of, of to her work was me and you and everyone we know um you know this sort of strange very i don't know perfectly distilled exemplary moment of like i don't know different strands of deadpan and hipster affect converging in the form of a movie this new movie um cajillionaire uh is i think more conventional uh for sure um Broad outlines are that it's about a family of three, a family, speaking of small groups, a small group, <laughs> um, two parents who are just inveterate um, con artists. The movie starts with a con uh, or, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of petty theft. It's a very measly con. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of measly. I mean, it's a series of measly con, cons, actually, their, their life. Um, and their their daughter is, you know, sort of been brought up and under the sign of the con but you know is sort of sort of drifting away from it in some way and that's that's aided and abetted by uh, a a young woman that they meet who gets caught up in one of their cons gets kind of excited and interested in it um and then also gets excited and interested in the daughter um and that sends the movie in spinning off into different directions of the biggest con love man truer words (laughs) goodness me um okay would you care this is too tempting sorry Uh, (laughs) please proceed (laughs) well i was going to that's where the movie kind of ends um and come on it is true to the movie yes i guess (laughs) and life my friend (laughs) that's what i'm saying this is Um. nothing but truth on the film podcast (laughs) um yeah i i just to Fill in some more detail. Yes. Uh, so this, the daughter is played by Evan Rachel Wood. And when we meet her, it's like so, I I just, it's so hard to place who or what she is. She looks like Evan Rachel Wood. So she doesn't look like a child, but she's dressed in these oversized, um, an oversized tracksuit. And her hair is, you know, down to her knees, like really rough and like unbrushed and unwashed looking hair. And... So, I mean, the immediate image you get is like, you know, sort of like a malnourished uh, uh, child, adult kind of person. And, you know, you, like already there's a hint of this is like some kind of unnatural, maybe like slightly abusive situation, which was like immediately telegraphed. And the con they pull is also they try to rob a, a USPS and just um, they try to rob a USPS and it. It just opens with the Evan Rachel Wood character, um, whose name, by the way, is Old Dolio, which is kind of a yeah. running joke in the film. It, there's a there's a funny explanation for why her name is such <laughs> that I, I won't reveal. Um, <laughs> and, you know, her just kind of evading security cameras and trying to and stealing from these um, 
mailboxes and them trying to like kind of salvage whatever they can so that's like that kind of sets up the film and then they live in this like abandoned office building which has some kind of pink like toxic waste spilling from one side of the room at designated times every day and which they have to like mop up with buckets and the story basically is that they they pay rent apparently to live in that office building you know like surrealist that um well the the reason i'm describing all of this is to like describe what it is without having to find a word for it because i don't know and it took me a while i mean it's not surrealist it's totally grounded in reality but it said they have built up this strange delusional life and there are details real details in their life that somehow like that as a viewer it's almost hard to separate from their delusion so this pink goop is not surreal it's like actual some kind of waste that coming out of a construction site but it's pink foam dripping down the wall so when you first see it you actually in those opening minutes you just don't know if what you're watching is some kind of performance it's a dream you know and i don't know if twee is the right word for it it's like a little it, it was much sadder than that mm-hmm. the movie immediately felt incredibly sad to me and there's something i think that mainly through um evan rachel wood's performance because she's just so forlorn and just following her parents orders like a robot really and not getting much affection in return and so anyway they they don't have money to pay their rent to live in this abandoned office space and they pull off they go on a really elaborate kind of stunt which involves a trip to New York and on the plane they meet uh Gina Rodriguez who plays this young sort of professional woman with her own like parental issues so she gets very enamored by this lifestyle and help, starts to help them pull these cons starts to realize that this girl old Dolio is in a not healthy situation and then tries to kind of save her and it's all i i was actually really into it for most of the film uh because it genuinely was strange and it was genuinely very very sad and it, it just was seemed like a very touching film about homelessness and kind of stunted families that arise out of those situations delivered with this weird wit but it there's a lot of contrivances that kind of take place towards the end and i feel like that's a weird word to use in criticism of a film that itself is like this giant contrivance but you know even within that universe um you know there's certain rules set up by the initial scenes of the film and everything kind of takes place within those but when gina rodriguez's character comes in i think she's kind of a thinly written character it's not entirely clear why she just like joins these people on these you know random kind of gigs and then why she develops an attachment to this young woman and so it it gets a little like structurally loose for me but there are absolutely charming moving moments i mean there's a moment where there's an earthquake and they're in a bathroom and it just goes dark and old dolio has a like a kind of an epiphany and it's just it, it, i don't know it's just a purely kind of euphoric moment that i couldn't help but sort of tear up and laugh at uh, what did you think yeah no i mean i i agree that was a nice moment where yeah the darkness of a, of a probably pretty fetid gas station bathroom um <laughs> is be, turns into um a kind of constellation on earth of, of the little pinpricks of light that are filtering in 
Um, yeah, I, it's it's I I I think Miranda July is kind of a good like sketch artist, both in the sense of her like she's good at like setting up jokes and scenarios that just unfold with like this inevitable inevitability, even when they're absurd. So you're you're suddenly playing the rules of some strange little game, um, and it's quite funny and, and sort of illuminating. Um, and then also, yeah, for finding that kind of happenstance, um, lightly designed beauty um, in, in some sort of situation like that. And just kind of also backing into, you know, backing into these like estranging moments. Um, there, there's one point where for some reason they uh, that's explained in the movie, they are sort of imitating the sounds. The, the family are imitating this, are in someone else's house, imitating the sounds of a family in a house while for the benefit of 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 of, of the owner of the house and like um, they're pretending to be his family they're pretending he's like to be his family man. he's a lonely man yeah there you give it all away um, well, what is imitating the sounds of a family for the owner of his house that doesn't mean anything <laughs> it's, just, it's it's yeah it's just all ruined now i i really can't continue no um uh, but yeah, but that's and then it, that's great because what they're doing is play acting, which made me think just a little bit now of like Hirokazu Kareda and how that kind of crops up, that kind, especially the most recent right. movie of his. I and, haven't seen this movie, but yeah. uh, you know I've seen her prior ones. But I, it's interesting because I, I first came to her through video art, and she was making mm. short form experimental video art. I don't know, early nineties, I guess. Mm. And there's something, and I haven't thought about. It, her feature films in this context, but what you're describing, these scenes are kind of perfect. You know, they're perfectly enclosed conceptual mm. conceits that play out perfectly, and they have they do echo a lot of the like humanity and absurdity of her video art. And so it's just interesting to. Yeah. I feel like you both have described these scenes with such like vivid perfection, but the. I'm just I'm just wondering: is it like a plot? Is it the you know, is it is it connecting them like beads on the necklace that where it mm. falls apart or, you know, I mean, I, I think it's or not I, falls, falls apart is the wrong word. But I know. think it's um, actually I think I basically was able to enjoy it because it was it was it's a movie. It's more of a movie it's than a proper a, narrative. It's a proper narrative. And it has a payoff at the end and callbacks, yeah. all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it has yeah. a. it has a plot. And I think those there are self-contained moments, but they're all like part of yeah. uh, a plot. Um but I do think that there's like some going from like one set, certain set pieces to another. There's like some segues that are not as smooth or, you know, kind of as written out, I think. So actually, you know, what you're saying is like is is useful sort of context um, yeah. for the shortcomings of the film, I think. Um, but it's still one of the more enjoyable experiences I've had here in a theater. It, it, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost about the discovery of like sentimentality and how that might be a positive thing is <laughs> is part of it, what it's about, as opposed to a, some other movies here where a bit more belabored. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Kajillionaire. Good title too. Oh, that sounds... Yeah. What was wrong with Great, it? Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> what was wrong with it is that there is supposed to be like, an emotional core to the romance that develops, but as Devika mentioned, the what, like one of the characters involved is kind of thinly described, and yeah, and there yeah there are kind of devices yeah. that don't really work, and so it's sort of, sort of 
yeah, you, you can't really soar with it as, um, by the end. Um, and but but I guess to a certain extent, it is a bit supposed to be not very satisfying because you have this basically stunted family. Um, so, but yeah, but you know, enjoyable and it's a nice LA film. I think. I mean, <laughs> you know, having lived there very briefly, mm-hmm. it kind of a lot of it takes place on the streets and right. sort of parking lots Locations. and shops and there's just uh, i don't know it just cap- captures the the city in an interesting way and obviously homelessness and poverty yeah. are such uh, big aspects of that city and I, I don't know it's it's it is interesting to see a film that is about that but not directly you know it gets at mm-hmm. those issues kind of sideways through these comic and sentimental setups that that sort of thing um mm-hmm. and and i appreciated that yeah you know it's a good good um city film yeah so that was kajillionaire directed by miranda july um and i think that's the last movie we all will talk about on this episode um and sierra you're very busy uh, you'll be very busy, so we won't we won't take more of your time up. But uh, do you want to talk about what's what? keeping you so busy? Yes, I'm incredibly busy. Um, no, I am here. I'm here for a lot of reasons, um, but I am here primarily to be partake in the talent forum, which is a kind of new thing that Sundance is doing. I think for the second year, where um, I think it's all films that have been funded by the Sundance Institute, um, who we have basically two days of of pitch meetings um, with industry people who are here for the festival, which is smart. You know, it's actually taking advantage of... um, They used to set up sort of more bespoke meetings during the festival for their grantees, but um, I think, you know, formalizing that and really capitalizing on who's here is the goal. Um, It it, it sounds like it's a sort of... um, uh, extensive process, full days of meetings, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were talking. Like, I've I struggle. I think most filmmakers struggle with these pitch um, forums because it's a it's a radically different process than the one of making a film or thinking about a film or you know sorting your way through. They're about certainty and they're about salesmanship and they're mm. you know for me at least and I think most people filmmaking is like not. A process of certainty. Um, so we, uh, this is the first year, as in, but I think people the second did, year. Oh, uh, but people did used to pitch before, but not in a formalized. Uh, yeah, kind of I mean, I don't. Or? I only did. Um, they had like I can't really remember, but like a much more casual. You know, they would set up meetings for you, but I think I had like five of them mm-hmm. and they were short and it was just a much looser thing. And now it's a whole, there's all program with panels and, you know, there's talks and, and that sort of thing. Um, and this very kind of locked in schedule that, and a lot of, a lot of projects and I have a lot of meetings. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a growth for sure. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah. Well, Godspeed. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, 
I'll, I'll spare you guys my pitching voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you we can, have now you to want show it. us. No. Yeah. It's mostly in the hands. You know? <laughs> it's a gesticulation you know, it is, uh, art. It's an art of gesticulation. I went to the Camden Festival last year, and they have this like open oh, pitching forum. That, yeah. you, oh, you have yeah, done was, that particular oh, yeah. contest? Yeah. It was so interesting for me because I, I have no, I have never seen or I don't really know what pitching entails. And they make it into like a game show kind of thing. And what was interesting was the judges kind of pointing out to things that were so unrelated to, oh, it's to the film. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, uh, one, actually, I thought one project was stronger than the other and but the the person who won she didn't read off a piece of paper you know and mm. she had it like memorized and that was something that was noted mm. and you know there were other kind of elements of performance that were critiqued and it was just i don't know it's interesting to see like all the uh, barriers and like yeah, gateways or you to- require different sets of skills to actually get to do yeah the no thing i think about do. like the film that's one of the films is i'm sorry i'm gonna go on a tangent yeah. What, do what you will with this but <laughs> the the film the competition the um claire simone film oh, yeah. is one i think about all the time in like almost every context and it's exactly that like the skills it takes to be a confident person performing selling yourself being at ease in public speaking like there's a lot of class racial gender personality but there's a lot of barriers to that and and like that being the primary at least in the documentary world or, you know, in these pitch forums, that's the like primary, Mm. you know, moment of judgment uh, is really, you know, if if it were balanced with like the, uh, you know, introverts forum or something. (laughs) No, but it is, it's rewarding a very specific skill set. Right. um, Right. Which can be hard. Well, I think you just you just founded a new forum right there that some festival can pick up on. Yeah. <laughs> Introverts Forum. No more forums. No more forums. I mean, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, that brings us to yes. the end to the Film Comment Forum. So that's right, the Film Comment Forum. And <laughs> and you won. You won. I won. You the won the f- I won the pitch. Yes. I won the Film Comment Forum. Thank you guys so yes. much. We will well, give you tons of money that's to right, make your film. That's great. <laughs> If I write another piece. That's all you got to do is just write another piece. Um, but thank yes. you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. And uh, we will be back with another episode before you know it. So keep listening and um, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Get your copy of our January-February 2020 issue of Film Comment, featuring our best-of-the-decade extravaganza with essays by Dennis Lim, Amy Taubin, Devika Girish, and R. Emmett Sweeney, the top 50 films and key new filmmakers of the 2010s, along with filmmakers, critics, and programmers' picks of the decade. Also, an in-depth interview with Pedro Costa, director of Vitalina Varela, opening at Film at Lincoln Center, and our annual Best of the Year poll, including write-ups of the 20 best films of 2019. Support nonprofit independent film journalism. Support Film Comment.